thanks for tuning in to the Durban Memorial Baptist Church podcast. We're a group of sinners saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, and here you will hear the Word of God. Now we want to partake in the Word of God. I want to say grace to you and peace from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. It is an honor to share the Word of God with our church. We've been talking about the church for the last couple of weeks as we've walked through the end of 2 John and uh, the beginning of 3 John. And the church is an organized gathering is the mode through which God has chosen to accomplish his will. This is evident when you read through the New Testament and you see how much attention is given to the formation, practice, and leadership of the church. We can't be fooled by a culture that tells us being a part of a local assembly is unimportant. It's true that being a church member does not save you. Only by the grace of God through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ are you saved. But we cannot assume that because salvation is not dependent upon church membership, that it's not important at all. One way of thinking about this is that there are things in life that may be really, really good to have, beneficial to have, helpful to have, but maybe not necessarily necessary. For instance, a car. Cars are a modern marvel. It's incredible. We can jump in a vehicle and drive off across the country and go hundreds of miles before ever stopping in uh, just a couple of hours. Now, we can theoretically exist without having a vehicle. Just this week, I was having that thought as my truck was having some issues I thought were very serious and going to be extremely costly. I I was weighing out the options of if I was even going to get it fixed. And one of the things was I'll just get rid of it. Just learn to deal without. And fortunately, I was able to get the repairs and it wasn't too crazy of a thing. But the option crossed my mind. But even still, it it got me thinking. Vehicles are really nice to have. They make moving things around a whole lot more efficient and easy, but they aren't absolutely necessary. Even a delivery person who comes to my house about 18 times a week, (laughs) even a delivery person could conceivably walk the items that they have where they need to go to their intended destinations. Doing it that way would make you very bad at your job, at least uh, not efficient, but conceivably, theoretically, you could get the job done, albeit poorly. It's in a similar vein when it comes to being a Christian and connected to the church. Could you theoretically do it? I mean, you are saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, period. That's the end. What must I do to be saved? Believe in the Lord Jesus. There's no church membership mentioned right there in Acts 16.31. However, if you are to take your relationship with the Lord seriously and thus want to be effective in living your life for his glory, the ability to do that is greatly enhanced by being a member in good standing and active participation in the local church. If we want to take that delivery driver analogy further, being a Christian and not being connected to the local church would be like a local delivery driver refusing to use the delivery car. 
You might get some work done very inefficiently, but your boss will be reviewing your work and ask, why aren't you using the car I've provided you? You say, well, I've been in a wreck before. That happens. I can understand why that would make you gun shy of getting in a vehicle again, particularly if it was a very severe wreck. But even still, a wreck that was either caused by your own faults or even the fault of others doesn't change the usefulness of that vehicle to getting the job done. When it comes to the local church, I understand people may have been hurt before. Sometimes it's a situation they made for themselves, but often, if we're honest with ourselves, it's the fault of church members in their careless actions. But just because you may have been hurt by members of the church does not mean that the church is the gift God has given to us to rally together and effectively serve him during our time on this earth. I mentioned this verse recently, but I want to go back to it once again in Matthew 16, verses 15 through 8. This is Jesus. He said to them, but who do you say I am? Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him and said, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. What we're seeing here is the profession of faith. That is the right understanding of Jesus of Nazareth, the carpenter's son, that that guy is the Christ. The son of the living God. That profession is the true rock upon which Christ builds his church. That is his gathering, his collection of believers, his called out assembly joined together in mutual love and understanding of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Through our individual professions of faith in Christ, he has called us to gather Together, the local assembly is important. We have to protect it, enjoy it, and cherish the gathering of the saints in the local assembly. With that in mind, would you open your Bibles to 3 John? Today we're going to look at verses 9 and 9 through 12. Um, as we think about the importance of of the local church and the great grace it is that God would provide us with such a place and such a people. Uh, In the first half of this chapter, we saw that the elder John was encouraging uh, the good things by the man uh, by the name of uh, Gaius was doing in the local church context. He was being hospitable to the traveling missionaries that were coming through the area. He was uh, supporting other believers who were doing work for the sake of the name of Jesus. Gaius was commended for his behavior by uh, the Apostle John. When we are hospitable to those who are working with us for the sake of Christ, it is a good thing. It is a good thing. It produces good within the church. Today, we're going to be introduced to another man in Gaius' church. 
This time, though, instead of being commended, uh, this man will be rebuked for his behavior within the church. In a moment, we will look at the specific things that this man was doing as a warning to avoid, avoid similar actions in our church context. But before we get into the specifics, we need to understand something here. There are both good and bad actions taking place within the church family that the elder John is writing to. This should let us know that it should not be a surprise when sin rears its ugly head in the church. The encouragement here is to help the church get back on track. That's what John is accomplishing through this letter. When we deal with sinful behavior in the church, that should be uh, our, our response. We repent and we reform. We don't take our ball and head home and never grace the doors again, rejecting church altogether. We see here good and bad things happen within the church. We cling to the good and seek to give God the glory through the local church. We don't pick up our ball and go home. So let's look at the specifics starting in verse 9 here. In 3 John, uh, verse 9, he says, I have written something to the church, but Diotrephes, who likes to put himself first, does not acknowledge our authority. In just one verse... We learn one principle uh, about maintaining the mission of the church and two actions that we should avoid. The principle for maintaining the proper mission of the church when it comes uh, is when it becomes necessary, we got to rebuke misbehavior in the church. It should be direct. It should be specific and necessary. Hear me out. John is not addressing simple interpersonal uh, issues like someone bringing the same dish as you to the church potluck, even though they know you always bring the sweet potato casserole. That's not what's happening here. Diotrephes, who is likely in some sort of leadership position within the church, is in an ongoing and serious sin that is truly hurting the mission of the church. We're not being flippant here. These are big deals that we're talking about. It is good and it is right to go to people who are distracting from the mission of the church and to call them to repentance. In our modern context, we often think it's mean to say anything that will cause conflict. Now, I agree. We don't want to go out of our way to uh, cause division for the sake of division. But that's not what we're talking about here. When division is already being caused, it needs to be addressed. We need to get it out of our 21st century American brains that just because someone tells you something you're doing is wrong is that they hate you. It's in fact quite loving to tell a brother or sister something's wrong when the true intention there is to point them back to the Lord. The very first uh, day I, I came here to preach in view of the call, I led a Bible study on Proverbs 27, 5 through 6, and we looked at these verses. Better is open rebuke than hidden love. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, profuse are the kisses of an enemy. 
When we call out our brothers and sisters in Christ for the sake of pointing them back to the Lord, that is a more loving action than ignoring iniquity. But before we get too excited to walk into our Sunday school next week and start putting everybody on blast, we need to realize this principle goes both ways. Not only should we be willing to point our friends, our brothers, our sisters back to the Lord, but we must be willing to receive rebuke, understanding that they love us enough, they care about us enough, they cherish our fellowship enough to bring our sin to our attention and point us back to the Lord. In doing so, they're sharing in the bond of love. All throughout 2nd and 3rd John, we've seen the interrelatedness of love and truth. You've heard me say that. Love and truth. Love and truth. They go hand in hand. True love centered on truth does not delight in iniquity. When John addresses the things going on with Diotrephes, he is doing so out of love. Love. For the holiness of God, for his righteousness, for what honors him and love for the brother who says that he proclaims Christ, but is acting contrary to the truth. Go back to verse nine with me again and see the specific ways in which Diotrephes was acting contrary to truth. Uh, John writes, I have written something to the church, but Diotrephes, who likes to put himself first, does not acknowledge our authority. In this verse, Diotrephes is shown of doing two things. The first, uh, 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 the first of the two is related to the rest of the list of uh, interrelated infractions here. First, we see Diotrephes likes to put himself first. This reads more of a description of his character, I guess, than a specific wrongdoing, but we'll see that all the wrong he's doing in the church is sourced from this self-promotion. Let me say this. You want to get a playbook, and you wouldn't expect a pastor to do this, but I'm going to give you the playbook for derailing the mission of the church. You want to come in here, you want to mess everything up, make sure nothing gets done. Here's the first play. Make everything about yourself. We'll get into the specifics of diatrophies here in a moment. But in general, when we make the church about ourselves, that is a surefire way to make sure we aren't accomplishing what is pleasing to the Lord. I love the picture of the early church we're given in the book of Acts. I'm going to read these five verses, Acts 2, 42 through 47. This is the early church right in the beginning. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayers. And awe came upon every soul and many wonders and signs being done were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings, distributing the proceeds to all as any had need and day by day uh, attending the temple together breaking bread in their homes they received their food with glad and generous hearts praising God and having favor with all the people and the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved now 
just as a, a bit of a rabbit, and I'll pull it back in here. Some like to use these verses and say that it is the Bible promoting some form of communism. Those who promote that kind of thing forget Second Thessalonians 3, where it says, if anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. Uh, but the early church was promoting uh, 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 not promoting some form of government-enforced uh, communism. Rather, it is showing us what a group of people who are united in the love of Christ willfully do for one another. They help their brothers and sisters in need. They eat together. They're a part of one another's lives. They praise the Lord together. They mutually devote themselves to the apostles' teaching. They are united in their submission to the Lord. What we don't see in the description here of the early church is anyone putting themselves first. They're walking together in one accord. Now you want to wreck all of that? Start making it all about yourself. Start looking for personal praise instead of praising the Lord. Start sulking over yourself instead of serving others. Start promoting ideas that are really, really interesting and enticing to you, even if they aren't congruent with the teaching of the church. Start thinking that you're the head of the body instead of Christ. This can particularly happen in leadership. It's not limited to leadership, but I do know of countless stories of pastors who have thought themselves bigger than the church and above repentance and thus above the rest of the body. And those stories usually end with horrific falls. We all must understand whether we are a lay member of a church or we're in vocational ministry, the church is not about us. The church is about Christ. It's from the spirit of self-promotion that Diotrephes acted in the ways that were hurting the local church. Look back at verses 9 and we're going to go into 10 here. He says, I've written something to the church, but Diotrephes, who likes to put himself first, does not acknowledge our authority. So if I come, I will bring up what he is doing, talking wicked nonsense against us. And not content with that, he refuses to welcome the brothers and also stops those who wants to put them out of the church. The second detrimental action by Diotrephes here in verse 9, which carries into verse 10, is that he refused the authority of the apostles. And specifically the apostle John uh, and the teaching of the brothers that John sent to that group. They were there to preach in the sake for the name for the sake of the name of Jesus, and yet Diotrephes wanted to stop all that business. Diotrephes is in essence saying he is bigger and better than the very apostles that walked with Jesus. Remember that section of scripture we read from Acts chapter two. The healthy church devoted itself to the teaching of the apostles. Diotrephes is basically saying, I don't need none of that business. What I have to say is better. Get out of here with all that. Look at me. What I'm doing is better than what they got. What a ridiculous thing to say. 
The church is drawn together through a shared confession of Jesus as Lord and committed to the teaching of the apostles that God used to spread the truth of Jesus Christ. We looked at the, this next section of scripture I'm going to show you last night uh, or last Sunday night, but it's pertinent to look at again. This is Ephesians chapter two, uh, verses 19 through 22. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. Uh, In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the spirit. When we are saved by grace through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, we are given heavenly citizenship. We're joined together as family members in the household of God. All of this is built upon the foundation of teaching that comes from the apostles and the prophets. And that teaching itself is dependent upon Jesus Christ. That's what all of that teaching is about. He is the cornerstone through the teaching of the apostles and the prophets. And along with the gift of the Holy Spirit, we are joined together and together we share in Christ. You cannot claim Christ and reject the teaching of his apostles. In our modern context, this might look like throwing away the books of 1st and 2nd Peter. You would think I was ridiculous, rightfully so, if I said, hey, everybody, open up your Bibles. Grab those pages. Grab 1st and 2nd Peter and just rip them out. We're not going to use those anymore, right? In 1st Peter, he's urging us to abstain from the passions of the flesh If a pastor were to come to you and say, that's a bunch of baloney. Peter don't know what he's talking about. Listen to me, hedonism, baby. You better run from that guy. We don't reject the teaching of the the apostles. We don't say that they don't have the authority. In 3 John, we're not given the specifics of what Diotrephes was telling the rest of the church. But we are told in verses 9 and 10, he denies the authority of the Apostle John and that he was speaking wicked nonsense against John and his missionary brothers. Y'all, we should absolutely call out, mark, and avoid false teachers. But as believers, united in love and truth, we have no business tearing down and slandering those who are sincerely preaching and teaching the truth of Jesus Christ. We cannot think of ourselves as such a perfect arbiter of truth so much so that we speak falsely and wickedly against our brothers and sisters in Christ. Diotrephes was not uh, only not acknowledging John and speaking against him, but more there in verse 10. If you go back to verse 10, if I come, I'll bring up what he's doing. He's talking wicked nonsense against us uh, and not content with that. He refuses to welcome the brothers and also stops those who wants to and puts them out of the church. He wasn't content with just speaking wicked nonsense but he was also inhospitable to the missionaries. He was refusing them lodging and charity. Now I'm speculating here, but that might be why they ended up at Gaius' house. 
Diotrephes seems to be a church leader, and yet he rejects those who John sends to preach the truth in that area. In that time, hospitality was very important. They didn't have the same kind of hotels and lodging that we have today. The traveling missionaries relied on the, uh, being received by the churches for their own safety. Diotrephes had no concern for their well-being. Further, not only did he refuse them lodging and hospitality, he actually excommunicated members of the church for doing so, for being hospitable to those people. What we're seeing here, if we want to bring it into psychological terms, it's classic narcissism. In his pride, Diotrephes has made the church all about himself. He doesn't want anyone coming in there and and saying anything or doing anything that could be a threat to his authority. Instead of being the loving servant shepherd to the saints, wherever they were there in Asia Minor, Diotrephes was being a dastardly dictator. We got to see the serious folly there is in letting our lives be dictated by pride rather than love of Jesus Christ. One commentary quoted on this, they said that this is the original and the greatest of all sins. It's the sin of Satan who was unwilling to be what God had created him to be and who desired rather to be like the most high, as it says in Isaiah 14, 14. It is the opposite of the nature of Christ who is who being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant. Pride is a tool of Satan to hinder the work of the local church. We see it being addressed here by the elder John to Diotrephes. His actions are detrimental to the church there in Asia Minor. He's kicking people out. When they're doing the right thing. Pride still hurts today. I would guess many of us have been hurt by people abusing their power for self-serving reasons. Maybe not in the church. Maybe in the church. It's very likely that's happened in some church context. I mean, if it was happening... In the decades directly after the resurrection of Christ, why would we not expect it to be happening two millennia later? But as I mentioned in the onset of this message, being hurt by people in the church does not negate the blessing it is that God has given us the church. The local church is still the vessel through which we are called to have communion with our brothers and sisters. And through which we serve the Lord together. So when we are hurt by members of the local church, we don't take our ball and go home. Swearing it off altogether, I'll never go through those doors again. Instead, we cherish the love and the truth that unites us and we seek repentance and reform in the church. See how this plays out in the last two verses. John says, Beloved, do not imitate evil, but imitate good. Whoever does good is from God. Whoever does evil has not seen God. 
Demetrius has received a good testimony from everyone and from the truth itself. We also add our testimony, and you know that our testimony is true. Things go down in the church. We don't imitate evil, snowballing everything that is happening. We imitate good. We do what is pleasing to the Lord. I think it's interesting to think about this in the context of Diotrephes. Think about what we just read there in the verses 9 and 10, and then we get to here in 11. Diotrephes was kicking people out of the church for doing what was right, but he was kicking them out. Notice, though, even though John was speaking against Diotrephes in the earlier verses, he didn't kick them out of the church. As an apostle... He could have sent a letter telling everyone to give Diotrephes the boot. Get that guy out of there. He had the authority to do so. But instead, he exposed what was going on and trusted that the members of the local church would do the right thing in regards to the steps of church discipline there in Matthew 18. For the sake of time, I'm just going to summarize Matthew 18 for us. When we talk about church discipline, you'll actually see this in a section uh, in our Constitution there. But simply, church discipline, as as in uh, Matthew 18, is one brother going to another one-on-one to rebuke them, to say, hey, man, you got some sin going on. We got to address that. Then if that doesn't work, you go with a couple of people. You say, man, that sin's still going on. We got to address that. That is not glorifying to the Lord. We care about you. We care about your ministry. We care about your life. We're calling you to repentance, brother, because we love you. And if that doesn't work, a third sorrowful, not gleeful action is you bring it before the church. You say, Brother, we have tried to talk to you about the sin that is ongoing in your life. We love you so much. We're calling to your repentance. And if that doesn't work, then there are steps to treat them as a Gentile, as a publican. All of that is done not to be mean, not to kick someone out because you don't like them, not to give them the boot because they copied your recipe, But rather, it's done with the intention of calling our beloved family in Christ to repentance so they can be effective in serving the Lord through the church with us. It's about being together, shared in the bonds of love and truth. When we see bad going down in the church, we have to address it. It's not to make ourselves feel superior to others, but rather so that God may be glorified through our local church. In our practice as a church, we must cling to what is good. We must do whatever is good because that is from God, that God may be glorified through our local church. In our practice as a church, we cling to what is good. We imitate the Lord, knowing that while we are still in the flesh, we're unable to perfectly get it right all the time. But at the same time, that because he has saved us, he is worthy of our obedience and our honor. We should take no pleasure in evil. We should want to get all that stuff up out of here. That's not of the Lord. 
but we cling to what is good and what is upright for the glory of God. John concludes this section here with a commendation of Demetrius, another brother in Christ. He may have been another member at Gaius' church. He may have been one of the missionaries that was going around and uh, uh, being a, a preacher, or he may have been the one who was uh, currying this letter. Either way, what we see here is an example of another brother walking in truth, much like Gaius at the beginning of this letter. We cling to what is good. We call for repentance and reform, but we stick with the church because that is the vessel through which God has given us. It's not about the church. It's about Christ who has gathered us together. The church and believers are united in love and truth. We humbly serve the Lord and serve one another for the glory of God. Living in submission to the Lord is so much better than living for self. Our man Diotrephes had a pride problem. When sinful pride dictates our lives, we're forgetting about the Savior who has saved us. I love showing this graphic just because it puts everything for us to see. Living a prideful life is the business of those who are stuck out in brokenness. Those whose sin had separated them from the perfect God. And so they're trying to, they realize something is wrong. Something isn't right in this world. I got this weight to this burden upon me. So I'm going to live for myself and try to figure it all out. But that pridefulness only leads back to more brokenness. But when we are broken of our pride, when we are poor in spirit, when we understand that we cannot save ourselves, we are not worthy of all the adulation, the pride, the honor, the glory, but that Christ is because as King Christ came down to this earth to live the perfect life and to take the sins of all those who believe in him and to die on the cross for those sins, to pay our price and to rise again on the third day, assuring us of eternal life. When we understand that Christ did what we could not, there is no pride that is left. We humbly repent of our sin, believe he did what we could not, cannot, will not do. And he gives us his righteousness, restores us to the perfect God. So we follow, we obey, we grow, we come together as a church, as a congregation, we serve the Lord. And if we have been reconciled to the perfect God, we got no business running back to the brokenness of pride. We live humbly for the Lord. Christ died because God loved us enough to save us while we were still sinners. Do you know that Christ has died for you? Have you been humbled, understood? Christ did what you could not. If you understand that and you've been understanding that for a long time, you've joined the local church, don't let pride come in and mess up what we got going on serving the Lord. But if you're understanding that for the first time today, I would love to talk to you. I would love to tell you how Jesus did what we could not do, saved us from our sins. Reach out today. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this opportunity to look at your word. 
I pray that it was edifying, that we would grow together as a body of believers as we grow towards you, that we would serve you in all that we do. Lord, I pray that the Holy Spirit is convicting us of our sin, that if anyone is understanding, they cannot do it on their own, that they would respond, that we would be able to use the word of God to show them what you have done for us. And Lord, that as a church, we would walk together in one accord, that we wouldn't be taking the devil's playbook of pride and injecting that into what we do, but seeking to serve you truly in all that we do. Lord, bless us today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to this edition of the Durban Memorial Baptist Church Podcast. If you want to find out more about our church, you can check out www.durbanchurch.org. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Or you can give us a call or text to 859-813-0369. Also, you can shoot us an email at brad at durbanchurch.org. Have a wonderful day and God bless.